Welcome to the Offered It Be Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Folks, we've got a different show today, and it's going to be very, very interesting. We're going to be speaking with Richard Grossinger about his latest book, Dream Times and Thought Forms, Cosmogenesis from the Big Bang to Octopus and Crow Intelligence to UFOs. And as you're listening to that, you're like, oh, how could he manage to put all of this together? He does it. He does it very succinctly. And you're going to learn a lot. So um, sit back, relax, enjoy some information. And then afterwards, go get the book because it's um, a very, very interesting read. Uh, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com. And I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. My guest today, Richard Grossinger, is a curator of Sacred Planet Books at Inner Traditions and the founder and former publisher of North America. North Atlantic books, excuse me. He has a PhD in ecological anthropology and has written more than 40 books on alternative medicine, cosmology, embryology, and consciousness, including Dark Pool of Night, Reality and Consciousness, The Night Sky, Soul and Cosmos, and Bottoming Out the Universe. He lives in Bar Harbor, Maine, and you can check him out at his website, and that's Richard Grossinger. Dot com R I C H A R D G R O S S I N G E R dot com. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Manny. Hey, it's so great, great to um, have you here today. With everything that you have done, why this book and why this book now? Ah, okay. Yeah, um, well, it's it's interesting how if you follow a trail, eventually the trail guides you. Some aspects of this book I've been working on since the 60s in high school, and other aspects have evolved just through going through different layers of things. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, di- I went through a sequence of books through the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s on, uh, on healing, then 
astronomy, cosmology, then embryology, and then consciousness. And subsequently, I tried to pull the threads together and come to an understanding of the big picture, the uh -huh. bigger picture that um, doesn't break it so much into, down into topics. And it also reflects the fact that beginning in 2008, I began to do, this is more your domain, I began to do a psychic study and that shifted my whole orientation from a more intellectual viewpoint to a more kind of imaginal and psychic viewpoint. Uh -huh. um, and so this book, um, this book also represented my joining of inner traditions. Um, I was trying to bring my themes together with inner traditions themes. And this book kind of came a bit from a back and forth between the editorial group and the publisher and marketing people and me as to what would come next in my own writing that also matched areas that they were interested in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think dream times and thought forms are more what I've been working with, especially thought forms, because if you do psychic work, you're right on the borderline between sort of matter and psyche or matter and consciousness. Whereas, um, whereas um, the Big Bang, octopus and crow intelligence and UFOs are topics that I chose to highlight within the book uh -huh. to complement some of the work I was doing, collecting books um, um, for Sacred Planet books. I've been doing that, I guess it's approaching three years now. It's maybe two and two thirds years. Uh -huh. After 55 years doing my own publishing company, a lot of them with my wife, Lindy, I joined Inner Traditions just two, uh, two plus years ago. And since then, I've brought in roughly 100 books. Congratulations. And in that process, I've really redefined my own work to myself. And at the same time, kind of opened up a, a new avenue of publishing um, for them, uh -huh. somewhat overlapping what they were doing already. And so this book falls in among all that, all that stuff. Um, it, um, it reflects elements of Sacred Planet books. It reflects elements of my past work. And it reflects elements of where I am now, which is like every other human being in this world, trying not only to figure out who and where they are, but to understand kind of our destiny, our, mm -hmm. our, our nature, our destiny. Um, I think what's sometimes been called the truth mystery, um, that thing that is kind of the ultimate the ultimate um, truth or true self, and yet the mystery, because it's we're in a, a, a realm where it's not revealed. Um, mm -hmm. we, we have to kind of figure it out um, almost moment to moment as we go. Mm -hmm. Well, since we are living in such a 
non-linear world, although a lot of people think that we're living in a linear world, is it easier to connect to that truth mystery being non-linear if we're open, if we expand ourselves and open to that energy? I think so, although, and I take this view in both the Inner Traditions books I did, that it's impossible to escape it. Even the most linear thinking and the most ordinary activities that people do that they think of as like their day jobs are inquiries. You, uh -huh. You're never, you can't get separate of it because you're always creating context. Okay. Okay. Now I want to back up a minute um, because you talked about, you know, the title itself, Dream Times and Thought Forms. So explain to us so that we're all on the same page, what you consider dream time to be, what you consider a thought form to be, and then we'll take it from there. Um, I took the word, I took dream times from the Australian Aborigine notion of um, an interface between the landscape and the perception of the landscape, the kind of phenomenology of the landscape. In, in, as I understand it, and there is a particular Australian Aboriginal view of this, which I'm never gonna get as an outsider, but as a borrower, borrower of it, I would say that the dream time is the point at which our we, by our actions, create the landscape that we're in. And it's it's like a dream in that we dream it, but it, um, it isn't a dream that we can escape or wake up from, not at least not within the lifetime. Uh -huh. And it is um, a dream that um, completely fuses with the world around us. So the one way of looking at this world or even this universe is as the collective dreaming or dream time of all the entities in it, which more approaches, I think, the real complexity of reality than the things that kind of um, advanced physicists throw out and say, well, this is everything there is. It is only if you don't take into account um, the forms that appear in consciousness and the fact that there are conscious entities in the universe. In many of my books, I've run through conventional science, meaning physics and biology's explanation for consciousness. And it doesn't ever seem to me as though it's an explanation. Uh -huh. it, um, and thought forms, um, it's similar. Um, I got the word thought forms from my own psychic training with John Friedlander, in which um, we, we create visualizations that we then activate. Um, and those, those visualizations, if, if I think as, as you train to be able to um, organize them, begin to shape your reality. And, um, and yet I also think that, that in light of what I said about dream times, that there are collective thought forms uh -huh. um, in which groups of individuals kind of collaborate to create a reality. And um, so 
in the title dream times and thought forms i'm i'm expressing an intention to talk about the ways we create and participate in this reality ourselves um, the usual i mean the more kind of conventional thing is to assume that we bounce around a little bit fortuitously with good, good and bad luck. Uh -huh. And we end up where we do. But um, the more esoteric view is that all of this represents an agreement that we made in another dimension, um, in a more, in a dimension with more layers or aspects, we made an agreement to participate in this sort of world Mm -hmm. And then we brought that agreement in and participated in creating that world. Um, and I think that in a sense, one could explain the entire world as, um, well, I'm repeating what I said earlier, um, maybe in a slightly different way, a col collaboration of all the forms in it. Mm -hmm. But in that, I, I would call it, even not a reality as much as a probability because it keeps changing as the individual's contribution to it changes. And at any given moment, there are multiple probabilities that can emerge from this point, uh -huh. but um, then one of them does. And the other probabilities in uh, John Friedlander's, at least in part, a Sethian, in a, in a Sethian cosmology, those other realities don't entirely disappear. Um, they continue, the, un, the unfulfilled probabilities continue to manifest in some other form, and we're vaguely or dimly aware of them. Um, okay, so when you say they manifest, that would be in a different dimension, so to speak? I guess you could you could say that uh, the words uh, the words sometimes limit it. You could say dimension or plane or frequency. Uh -huh. You must run into the. I mean, your own work must go back and forth over this uh, borderline. Um, I, I'm yeah. guessing from your description that what you do in a sense is you guide people through their own thought forms into larger. Uh, views and expressions of themselves um, that exist at a different frequency or in another dimension. Right. And you help them get there if they're willing to get there. And mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing that some people, they want so much, but they're not willing to do the work or they're not willing to go within to achieve what they say that they want to achieve. It reminds me of uh, of a kind of funky teacher I met in Kauai at one point who had a, I don't know what you'd call it, it was almost like a, um, a parable that he recorded in mm -hmm. which um, in which you come into this big Roman amphitheater and you're, you're like the um, gladiator who has to face the, um, the dragon or the, the lion or whatever. And in the audience, are all your guides and all the people, all the kind of angels and spirits who watch over this dimension. And he goes on to list all the um, kind of um, lions or monsters that come out to face you. 
and they are like fear and anxiety and envy and um, hatred. I mean, I can't remember all of them. And then, um, and then after these are all defeated comes the biggest and most um, sort of um, challenging foe of all. And you sort of hold your breath and he draws it out until you find out that what that is is self-sabotage. And, um, and in a sense, uh, it's what like Freud and Reich called resistance. Um, you're, um, you, uh, you sometimes, and in fact, many people often resist the very thing they want the most. And, um, and that's characteristic of this level of reality. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's what gives it texture and depth and meaning. If we didn't resist it, if we just kind of got whooshed on through in perfect harmony with our wishes and desires, it wouldn't be much of a reality. Uh, we'd be in and out of it very quickly and somewhat bored. Mm -hmm. But with the amount of density and resistance that is here, there's a really profound learning experience. Okay. Well, talk to us a moment about um, reality and talk to us about um, universes because you've written that um, souls and spirits travel between realities, whereas universes are generally sealed. What do you mean by that? Um, I suppose I must have written that. Um, <laughs> I, I think that... Um, or your publicist wrote it, one or the other. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I think that, um, um, well, let me refer to back in 2019, I was in a I was at a conference, a kind of a very small conference, like on, only about a dozen people were there at MIT, in which they were discussing propulsion. Um, to like propulsion of for UFOs or vehicles between solar systems and galaxies. And the forum was to find ways of propulsion that could get um, end beings or entities from one uh, solar system or even more from one galaxy to another within the time within a biological time frame, which, is not even close to possible. It's, it's, um, it would take millions of lifetimes for any entity to get even to a, um, a, another Earth-like planet somewhere. So uh -huh. they were arguing, since, since many of the scientists there believed that aliens had already been here, that there must be a propulsion system. And that's universes. And I think realities, are more probably what it's what this is about, which is that you need a shift in the whole meaning, the whole dimensionality of what you're dealing with in order to cross this universe, um, that it's not as it seemed. Uh, you had mentioned before the show, we might talk about UFOs. Uh -huh. I, I would take the position that it's, not certain, but quite possible that UFOs um, represent entities or intelligences tra traveling outside 
this universe or between points in this universe, but using an outside dimension to cross it. And that, and that that's why they can't really be resolved in, mm-hmm. uh, in our, in our reality. Um, in a, well, they can't be resolved in our universe, but they do resolve in our field of reality. Okay, so based on what you said, then could the UFOs that we sometimes see, could there be many more that we miss because we're just not looking for them or in tune with what's going on? I suppose I haven't haven't thought about it exactly that way, but um, I suppose um, I suppose just by the principle that I kind of think that most of what's going on we miss, so why not? <laughs> we probably miss them too. Um, I think, like, I think that what we miss, and this comes through my study with John a lot, is we miss the spirits and um, and what he calls elements of a multi-personhood. We miss the larger entity. We miss the group soul that we're part of, we miss our own causal soul, and we miss the um, the kind of conscious, subconscious more than conscious entity that brings together beings in different dimensions and also multiple beings on this world. Um, we feel very isolated and alone in our in our kind of sovereignty and individuality, whereas um, it may be that we're participating with other beings and entities and that they're feeding our consciousness um, um, subliminally. Uh-huh. And that's the main thing I think of us being unaware of. And yet I imagine that we're unaware of, um, I, I mean, UFOs, we're unaware of uh, highways and travelers elsewhere, probably um, tra- astral and um, and other the other travelers using different planes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I get. I've kind of had to work work that around to my own terminology. Okay, um, that's um, just fine. <laughs> Um, In your book, you talk about something that kind of really caught my attention, and that was the scam, the scam of the light. No, the scam of the being of light. So what is that about? That's probably the hardest thing in that's kind of like my favorite thing in the book and also Mm -hmm. the hardest thing to to define. I I began as a literary writer in a, in a tradition of avant-garde literature. And I've learned since then to kind of occupy a bit of an interface between, between kind of what I used to call in my 20s and 30s experimental prose and the more expository prose I write now. But occasionally, I I just want to get at something that you can't get at through expository prose. Mm -hmm. So I have a section in this book, which I essentially took out of a journal about a dream, which linked through multiple synchronicities to a whole bunch of ideas. 
And I called it the dream of the being of light. And it had all the paradoxical elements of a dream in that um, I, I, and I, it's been a while since I've actually thought about this, this dream or the writing about it. But I remember it starts with an attempt to resolve a scam either. Uh, I think as a dreamer, you can be um, caught up in a, in a kind of duality between you're the, whether you're the person perpetrating the scam or whether you're trying to expose it. And mm -hmm. you end up kind of being both. And that's the sort of dream it is. Um, and uh, eventually, the scam is that this, um, this entity called the being of light is, um, is really being perpetrated as a fraud, either by me or I'm trying to expose the fraud. It's, un it's unclear which. And I go back and forth in my own ambivalence through the dream. Uh -huh. And in the process of trying to expose the fraud, I end up kind of getting sucked into the wanting to keep the dream going and wanting to fool my audience, which is really myself as the dreamer. Uh -huh. uh, only I don't think of it that way because there's an audience within the dream that's being fooled by this being of light, which is no more than a kind of carnival doll, a, a woman dressed up as if to be a being of light. And I use this to, um, to kind of pan out into a larger framework of that particular moment. I dream this right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and right before I tried to drive out of sort of lockdown for the first time to visit somebody. Uh -huh. I, I was back in Northern California at that time. You referred to that before the show began. Uh -huh. I was driving to Petaluma to visit a friend and author. And at the same time, I was talking to a psychic and astrologer who I've known since the 1970s on the phone. Um, and I was also at the same time um, dealing with a depression that had gone on um, for about uh, about a year, a, about about two years by then. I didn't know that I was nearing the end of it. Uh, I didn't think that there would ever be an end. Uh -huh. uh, but I was the pandemic and the sudden lockdown and the whole confusion of, I mean, it really confused identity um, had, um, had kind of put me in a sort of reverberating space between my own depression and the pandemic. And then the dream was very lucid. So it was pushing in and uh, the psychic astrologer, Elias Lonsdale, and I ended up discussing um, suicide. Um, uh -huh. My mother, brother, and sister all committed suicide um, in their 50s and 60s. And I, I come from the same family, and I've dealt with some of the same um, demons that they have, but not in the same way. I, I viewed it more as, uh, as guidance, that the darkness is guidance. 
And yet it's a topic I discuss. You, you can't not be interested in this if your most intimate family members all decide to do that to themselves. Right. Elias was making the argument to me, the fallacy, it was, he was arguing, he always has such great insights. Like when I went into the depression in uh, mid 2018, he said, you don't get to go from one comfort zone to another. Oh. Um, that is, there's a price to pay in between, okay. which is what that, that was. I, I was moving from one whole kind of realm of my life to another, to an awakening, but I couldn't do it without passing through the abyss in between. Okay. And, uh, and part of that abyss involved having to see the publishing company that my wife and I started as teenagers and developed be taken over by a hostile coup um, and sort of vandalized and ruined. Um, and that had happened uh, right before the pandemic began. So all of this was underlying the dream and, and my thoughts at the time. And then Elias said, if I remember right, and I write it more articulately in the book, that the reason that suicide doesn't work is it doesn't get you from one place to the next place in a linear sense, because there isn't any such lineup. In a way, all of these places are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So we, there isn't a way to escape. Um, the One of the most um, predominant features of this reality is that it doesn't give you an alternative, which is uh, a more fundamental thing than people sometimes think. I, I think when they're doing well or happy or you know, enjoying the reality, that it doesn't occur to them. But then if they get unhappy, even before they get suicidal, say, that they it, it's a kind of squirmy position, like, well, where's the alternative? How do I change this? Uh -huh. That's sort of what you must do in working with people. You work with people right on that threshold. And I think when the person comes to the existential decision of whether to try and leave this place, and in the case of my brother and sister, my brother in 2005 and my sister in 2016, I talked to them up to the last day and in neither case did I believe that they were gonna commit suicide. Um, my sister jumped out the same window in New York City that my mother did 41 years earlier. Oh, wow. And my brother actually stabbed himself to death with a knife. Um, that's pretty heavy. And how do you do that? How do you bring yourself to that moment? And Elias was arguing, well, there, there's this illusion that you, do something like that. And then the next thing happens, which I think most people feel is nothing. It just all stops, which means the pain stops. But not necessarily. <laughs> but if time is not linear uh -huh. and, um, and consciousness is not tied to matter, then a very different shift occurs and you create a whole new set of problems uh -huh. because you've in a sense, begun to manipulate the, uh, the projection of all realities. And then that's a little bit like the dream in which you don't, in which I don't realize whether I'm the perpetrator or the 
or the victim um, of the of the scam, and um, and how I'm gonna either keep it going or get out of it. And mm -hmm. I also relate the scam to another feature of my family. I, I say this in the book too, that um, it's the trick played on me by my family, um, apart from the suicides, which I guess you could say is another trick in, in a way. And that is that for my first nine years, I thought one person was my father and had his last name. And then when I was nine, it got changed to what my last name is now. Mm -hmm. And this other person became my father and he lived actually closer to where you come from in the Catskills. Mm -hmm. So I used to visit him back and forth between New York City and his hotel. And then when I was 30, at the time of my mother's suicide, it came out that she had me by an affair and neither person was my father. Oh, wow. And so it was a multiple trick. Uh -huh. on me, a multiple scam. And I never did meet the actual person. Um, but it was very strange when I went out to try and find him because I had already done that with a whole second family. I'd already absorbed a whole second family at age nine and taken on a new brother and sister, and two new brothers rather. And uh -huh. they um, turned out not, they, they were adopted, so they weren't genetic. Uh -huh. But they turned out not even to be um, my true half-brothers, um, or I should say my blood half. Well, blood's the wrong. I, I'm getting so caught up in the scam of the being of light that I would uh -huh. have to stop and try and find language for this. But anyway, the old form of experimental writing, which I did, was very ca um, caught up in trying to capture ambiguities and energetic transitions between systems in language um, as a poet would. It was very mm -hmm. close to poetry. And probably the first 20 or so books I did were simply experimental prose. Um, um, early ones published by this literary press called Black Sparrow. Mm -hmm. And then eventually um, when I was, I guess it was when I was, about 30, Saturn return, 32, 33, when I quit college teaching, uh, which I had done in Maine and Vermont, and moved to Berkeley, to California, near where you are now, uh -huh. and, um, and pursued um, learning healing systems and eventually adapting our, our publishing company so that it became a sort of mind-body-spirit publisher. And then we stayed because we were earning a living there and we raised our kids there. And, um, and all of this, uh, it's like I try and capture all of this by putting in the book, this one dream, and then the various interpolations of the dream. Um, okay. And I think it works pretty well because it's, uh, it's a book that, it's not about, the book is more trying to um, get the reader to experience in themselves the shift between levels of reality. And I kind of do that by talking about my own or my own insights into that. Mm -hmm. um, um, it, the Perhaps one of the most interesting things in the book, to me, perhaps the seminal point of the book comes out of a dialogue I've had for the last few years 
with a guy who's a psychotherapist in Berkeley and also a publisher, Matt McKay, who's the publisher of New Harbinger. Uh-huh. And I've published two of his books with inner with Sacred Planet and Inner Traditions and have a third on the way. And um, Matt, um, uh, New Harbinger purchased Non-Duality Press at one point, and Matt got very involved in essentially um, a range of Buddhist publications around the topic of non-duality. And uh, I'm not doing it justice here, but I think I did in my book. The, um, the, the, the problem with non-duality is that this reality has to be accounted for. Um, that is, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't seem to work, at least it doesn't to me or him, to say that this whole reality we're in is either unenlightened or a mistake or um, something that that our main mission should be to dissolve it and get somewhere better. Because there must be tremendous forces, the forces like that the word karma kind of alludes to, like karmic and akashic forces, putting this exact world into existence in every detail of itself. And that this world seems to require that it be inhabited fully so that you can have at one extreme, at one seeming extreme, a yogi or a llama um, performing, in a, performing operations which raise them up through the levels of this world to the brink of another world, but you have somebody else working in the street with a drill, trying to get down to the sewer system, or somebody driving um, a a truck across country. And they are just as much participating in in the psycho-spiritual vibration Mm-hmm. And that's the na- and that seems to me the essential nature of it, and it's a primary theme through both of those books. Um, uh, I, I in no way mean to challenge Buddhism because it's for one, it's the most sophisticated description of reality and practice that we have. It's it it's more that um, the way it gets interpreted and practiced leads to a kind of trashing of this reality or a demotion of this reality. Uh And that's a dialogue Matt and I have been having for about two years, two, two and a half years now. And it very deeply informed my writing in this book. Uh Um, And I kind of did sweeps to go out from there and capture things like UFOs and octopuses and crows and, um, and, water and crystals uh-huh. and all sorts of all sorts of things. The book very much felt to me like a uh, like a collect like almost like a f- collection of treasures. You know, when I did my first this is I think the fourth or fifth podcast I've done on it. And the first one was maybe two or three months ago. And what came up immediately for me and for the interviewer was the fact that this book was is weird. It feels as though it was written in a spell. 
So when I tried to read it before the interview, I was appalled because I it wasn't that I didn't understand what I was saying. I couldn't get into the rhythm of it. It was like a jazz that I, I couldn't pick up. Mm-hmm. And then the moment I picked it up, I, I thought it was remarkable and really strange and weird. And the interviewer had exactly the same perception. He started to read the book and was kind of felt outside it and like he didn't understand it. And then he suddenly got it and it became completely interesting to him. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, it's not that I would call it channeled in the sense, and you see, I wrote about this right at the beginning. Yes. Um, because <laughs> when the publicity department of inner tradition sent out copies, they made a galley and I sent it out. I kind of got a little perversely creative and sent it to pretty much every email address I could find on uh, in my uh, in my inbox and uh, in my inbox file going back like 10 years just to see mm-hmm. what, what would happen. And I obviously got somebody who didn't like my work um, because he wrote the scathing critique of it. And I put that in, in my preface mm-hmm. because it was so interesting. It, it immediately keyed me to the fact that, that the book was strange. And I thought, it's not channeled in the sense that I think it came from another entity. Maybe it did. I just will be agnostic on that. It's channeled in the sense that it's operating at its own rhythm. And when I'm in the rhythm, it's like a cornucopia. All sorts of things come out and an octopus and a crow and a tardigrade can be all together. And when I leave the frequency, it seems somewhat amorphous and fragmented, and I don't hear the music. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a little bit reminiscent of the experimental prose I did early on, where I would read it, Um, I'd get invited to read it, this is like in the, mostly in the 70s, at colleges, Um, Mm -hmm. and either myself or as part of a poetry reading, people didn't even know it wasn't poetry. it was prose with poetry-like rhythms. Uh-huh. And um, and I would, um, I would, it would take me a while to hear my own song, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, well, I completely agree with that because when I was first reading it, I'm like, okay, where is this going? And, you know, as a reviewer of books, you know, sometimes you skim, sometimes you read. And, and the way that I, choose a book as I'll randomly open to three different pages and read the rest of the chapter. And yeah, yeah, the first one I couldn't, the first part that I opened is like, okay, well, this isn't making sense to me. But as I got to the second section that I opened, I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. So it, it allows your subconscious mind, or at least my subconscious mind to think about it and not accept or reject, but just to absorb the information. So I think you did a great job there. But you know, uh, Richard, our time is almost up. Give us a pearl of wisdom that you would love to share with our audience today. Time has gone so quickly. Oh, wow. What what would I say? I, um, I, um, I think 
The, the most recent thing that I've thought about that I've been working with is something that actually came from a Buddhist source, which is that all joy that we experience comes from inside ourselves. And yet it's so, um, it's so habitual to associate it with the things that give us joy, especially the people that give us joy. But if we can hold both together, that's the trick, to realize that it comes from ourselves, but also to enjoy completely indulgently the thing or the person that's giving us joy. That's, I think, what turns on the outpouring of joy back. Okay. Yes, it does. And thank you very much for sharing that. And I really appreciate you, Richard, coming on and sharing the information in this wonderful book, uh, Dream Times and Thought Forms. And to the audience, thank you for being with us as we collectively get over it. And everyone, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering dream times and thought forms. Abundant blessings, light and love to all. Agape. Thanks for your